Cyrus. And the title of the message this morning, Was Cyrus a Spiritual Jew? Here a lot of people talk about Cyrus, that he was such a pagan king. And I understand that he was a pagan king. But you know, God opened up a window and let us see. Sometimes it's darkly and we can't see clearly. But throughout the Old Testament, he was speaking that he would use Gentiles and that Gentiles, would, in fact, would comp- probably pose more of the church than his chosen people in the Old Testament because God's people seem to be lazy a lot of times to what he chooses physically. Yes. A lot of times those in the church, they're lazy and complacent. And when a person is physically linked to something, sometimes that make them feel entitled. Entitled. You know, if you're born into a wealthy family or something, uh, just like being American, we feel that we're entitled and that we're better than the rest of the people or rest of the world. And they say, well, we're a Christian nation. Mm. But sometimes that's not always so because the physical is not the spiritual. The physical is not the spiritual. And God talks about an inward circumcision, circumcising the heart Mm. to one that doeth his will. Those that are his children. We notice this example in Hosea where he says, those that I call my people are not my people. Those that I say were not my people are my people. So sometimes we don't, we can't put people into the body of Christ or whatever. We look at Cyrus this morning, and I told you to go back and maybe read some of the things in secular history about Cyrus or whatever, and we see that he's a compassionate king, that he's a humanitarian, and he's a merciful king. Uh, if you read of his life, he was rejected. His father, grandfather was scared that he was going to serve the throne or take over. And that he gave him to one of his men, one of his, uh, someone in his administration to kill the child, to, 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 to kill him. And But that would take up most of my time this morning, bringing us up to speed in how that happened in its secular history and a lot of times we don't like to preach or teach secular history. It's like Jesus Christ. He never used anything outside of the Bible. All of his quotations was a scripture. He didn't quote secular history. I remember Paul quoted about the Cretans. He said it is written that they were always slow and liars, you know, which was true. And we being Humans, sometimes we grow up hearing different sayings and things, and we incorporate those into our lives and into our being. Uh, we see where Cyrus, his father, gradually associated with Cyrus when he returned back to Cambyses and Ashen at the age of 17 because he was given to these this shepherd to raise and how he was switched out where his 
mother was pregnant with him and this other lady was pregnant, but her child died. And Cyrus, as a child, he was switched to that mother where she thought that that child lived and that the other child died. And the servant that was given Cyrus to dispose of Cyrus, he couldn't dispose of him or whatever. So he just said, he switched it. And he said that the dead baby was the baby that he was supposed to get rid of and that Cyrus was uh, this other lady's baby and he was raised as a shepherd through a shepherd's lady. But anyhow, it's a long story. But as we read, but I tell you, God's divine providence was in the hand of Cyrus. That's why he's a type of Christ because as a baby, they sought to kill him or whatever. And he returned to lead and be on the throne as a king to deliver God's people. Jesus Christ, his parents had to flee to Egypt to save his life and that he came back and he delivered his people, a deliverer of his people. So Cyrus is a perfect type of Christ. Uh, Cyrus' father gradually associated Cyrus with him on the throne, especially as a commander of his armies, which were always victorious owing to his emphasis on discipline in the ranks and his easy grasp of strategy and tactics. And that's what we need in the body of the church is discipline. And it's about the strategy. In other words, following instructions and doing what you're supposed to do. And it, the Spirit of the Lord, it gives a zeal and a purpose to do His work. So God's true people, the ones that are called by Him, are actually not lazy. Those are the ones with zeal. Those are the ones that are on jobs or working. And even though they're not getting ahead of things happening, they keep on pressing on because they're working as working unto the Lord. But some people give up as Demas had forsaken Paul for the present world. Some of them start acting like the world and living like the world. It's like the Laodiceans. The Laodiceans, they wasn't really lazy, but they wasn't spiritually inept. In other words, they didn't deal with the spiritual. They were more material. And that's a problem. Even as a young general, Cyrus was known throughout the region to be a generous and a merciful conqueror and a ruler. Unlike Nebuchadnezzar, who was called God's servant, who wrote the fourth chapter of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar was more or less a brutal king. He reigned with a strong arm, and there were some hostilities he did like Zedekiah, when Zedekiah double-crossed him, he did double-cross him. Now, because he placed Zedekiah on the throne, and Zedekiah double-crossed him and stopped paying taxes, but that's when Nebuchadnezzar brought him in. All of this fulfills the word of God. Everything is done to fulfill the word of God. And what Nebuchadnezzar done was, Zedekiah's sons and daughters, he let Zedekiah see him. The last thing that he saw was that Nebuchadnezzar had his children killed right in front of his eyes, that he seen his children were killed. And then he put his eyes out. He put his eyes out. So he dwelt in darkness with his eyes blinded or whatever. But he was a 
cowardly king that was on the throne that went against a vow of God because he had made a vow with Nebuchadnezzar to follow and and, and put him on the throne, Zedekiah swore by the Lord that he would serve. So if we're bound to the devil, wherever we bound it, we have to follow that which we are bound to. And that's what's happening with the national Christianity and a lot of people. They're not following where their allegiance is. In other words, they're hypocritical. They're like the Laodiceans. They're poor, wretched, and naked, but they think that they have need of nothing. They, they're materially set and that they were rich and that they had the things and the comforts of life, the same as God's people Judah and Israel did in the book of Ezekiel where he destroyed them and he called them Sodom and Gomorrah because a lot of the Christian teachers and everything teaching that he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because of homosexuality. But if you look in the book of Ezekiel, you'll see it that he destroyed them because of satiety and pleasures. They oppressed the poor. They, it was the wealthy that was oppressing the people and not doing right and that it was all about them. It was about self. And that generation, Herodotus, another historian, he writes of Cyprus' ingenuous strategy to enter the city of Babylon and conquer Babylon because Babylon was like the United States today. It seemed to be impregnable, the military power and might of the day. And with its walls and its strategy, that Babylon was the dominant force. But by God's word, he did it exactly the way God's word said. And God confirms his word. He watches over his word to fulfill his word. And uh, what Nebuchadnezzar did, drawing off the river Euphrates by a canal into the lake, which was till now a marsh, he made the stream sink till its former channel could be forded. In other words, to it could be crossed, that Euphrates River could be crossed. When this happened, the Persians who were posted with this intent made their way into Babylon by the channel of the Euphrates, which had now sunk to about the height of a middle of a man's thigh. They crossed over and went into Babylon. The gates were left open, as God's word had said they were, the entrance to the city. Cyrus entered it without a battle, without a fight. It's like Jesus Christ. He conquered Satan through humility and dying upon a cross, and he said on the cross, it is finished. He had overcome without a battle because he told Peter, put up the sword. If you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. But he overcomes Satan by obedience to the word of God. Unlike the first Adam, the second Adam, our Jesus Christ, overcame through obedience. Adam started the whole ball to roll through disobedience to the word of God. Because God had told him not to eat of the fruit of the tree. He ate of the fruit of the tree because Satan said, Thou shalt not surely die. It's all about God's word, what God had said. So all of this that God had said to us in Scripture, God watches to perform his word. A man is no better than his word. It used to be that he said, Your word is your bond. Because that's what this is all about. It's all about God's word. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but God's word shall endure. Yes. 
These details fulfill Isaiah's prophecy to the letter. He writes that God would dry up the rivers for Cyrus so that he could subdue nations. That was written in Isaiah 44 and 27. Fifth column members possibly closed closely connected to the city's religious powers, opened before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut, according to Isaiah 45 and 1. But Belshazzar and his court were celebrating a public festival that night. They were unaware of the Persian assault on Babylon until Cyrus' troops were already in control. As the nation drinks and revels and partying, before football season, it's not even close to the Super Bowl. They hadn't even started, you know, to see who wins their divisions and started in that, which what starts maybe December or late December or early December, mid-November, whatever, you start to see it shaping up. Super Bowl used to take place in January, but now I think it goes sometime all the way to February. Mm-hmm. But I think the World Series started already. Yeah. Baseball World Series started already. Before you end that sport, the into basketball. I think the basketball season has started. I don't know about the regular season, but they're starting basketball now. Finishing off baseball in the next, you know, in October is normally when the series end, the World Series end, or whatever. But look like it's going to be into November before they finish the World Series this year. So. By the time baseball in, they could start the regular season of basketball, football season be coming to its culmination. But what is that? Partying and celebration, pleasure. And that's what the world has given to sports and movies and our entertainment. The focus is on leisure, and it's all about gambling. You know, your phone, the lottery is one of the largest lotteries. I don't know if anybody won and win is a drawing on Friday nights or Saturday nights on Wednesday I don't know, but the largest. But it's all about that which makes people complacent and focused upon themselves. So the first point today would be complacency. Complacency. Mm -hmm. God's people living in the comfort of the world are known for becoming complacent. You remember we talked about it, about uh, resting on their leaves. What you do once they join a church or get into a church and they figure, well, that's insurance. Now I've bought some insurance. I'm in the church. They think it's all over with. They don't do much in the church. They sleep or stagger around or whatever. They, you know, they may pay tithes and offerings or whatever, but they're not trying to please or pleasure God. They, they, they figure they, they've done their part. A lot of them that's been in there a long time. Well, I've done my part. It's up to somebody else to do now. That's the lay of the sin. You remember he said the lay of the sin, Christian, was lukewarm. Yes. We see here where Cyrus issued this proclamation that the people would go back and build a temple. You remember God made this, Cyrus made this proclamation just like Jesus Christ came and died and said, Go ye into all the world making disciples. Yes. But. God's people, like I said, people here, there are a lot of people that don't even belong to church, know what God said, and know Jesus died for, and they call themselves Christians, or they believe in God, they believe in Jesus Christ or whatever. But 
They're not doing it. They don't go to church, you know. They don't do what God says do. His prophets and pastors keep them focused on the goal. I heard in your opening this morning you said to keep your people focused. That's what a coach do. That's what your parents do. It tries to keep you focused on the goal. Focus to where you headed at. Sometimes you have to be pushed a nudge. You you have life coaches. You have personal trainers that push people. You have people that kind of push a nudge. That's why, you know, he sent them out two by two because sometimes one may not be feeling like it, but the other one, their, their partner would push them or whatever, and they would do, you know, because it's better to have somebody... And that's what the preachers does, or that's what the prophets did. Even though Cyrus had made this proclamation for the people to go back, but he said whosoever, and all of them didn't go back. You remember I tell you, they were rich. They were wealthy in Babylon, just like a lot of people are rich. They're making money on their jobs. They'll send money or whatever, but they're busy. They're busy, and they're have to watch football, they have to watch baseball, they have to go take their children to soccer, they have to do all these other things. But God, I'm giving you money. I just, I go to church, I didn't been to church today. You know, you went to church, so you've done your part. You know, God, you said in this corner right here, but I got the other 23 hours of my life to live. God is not in all of their thoughts. So Hagar, in the book of Hagar, Listen at this. Hagar begins to build the temple. Because you remember I told you in that proclamation, it was Cyrus, just like Jesus Christ, whom had laid the foundation. Jesus Christ came and laid the foundation that the foundation would be right. He was the chief cornerstone. No other foundation can be laid other than that which he had laid. Yes. Solomon laid the foundation I mean, Cyrus laid the foundation, but like I said, all of the people didn't go by. After this foundation was laid, these people didn't build. They didn't build a temple. They didn't do what Cyrus sent them back to do. And they were spending the money. They were doing other things. They were siphoning off the money, but Jerusalem still lay in ruins and desolate. During the time of Haggai, another minor prophet here. Listen to what Haggai says in the first chapter, and you wonder where you, you, you have you ever wondered where this came from? Well, Haggai was during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. And Haggai, the first chapter, verse 1 through 11 says, In the second year of Darius, king of Persia, Darius, yep, there's another king on the throne. Some Four or five, or I don't know how long Cyrus reigned after he sent the people back, after he conquered Babylon. But Cyrus, you remember I told you when he died last year, last week, and that Cyrus was killed in battle, but now Darius on the throne. A lot of people say, well, Darius was just a throne name or whatever, but I don't know. I don't know if that's right or not. But it was Darius, you remember, that Daniel was cast in the lion's den during the reign of Darius. It seemed like they would have said Cyrus if they meant Cyrus was Darius. But anyhow, 
So Daniel was an old man. A lot of people picture Daniel as being young, throwed in the lines, then along with the time the three Hebrew boys were thrown in the fire. But no, it was toward the end of his life. The people had went back to Jerusalem to build the the later foundations for the temple. And we see where Daniel had to be maybe in his 90s, a hundred and something or so, because he was a young man when he was carried off to Babylon. Mm-hmm. Remember, he was a young man and he operated in the king's administration of Nebuchadnezzar at that time because he told Nebuchadnezzar of his dream and all of these other things. Yeah. So he had to be maybe 18 or so, you know, maybe a teenager or in his early 20s when he went to Babylon. They was in Babylon some 65 or 70, almost 70 years, because we know during that time, Daniel started to read in Jeremiah that the captivity would last 70 years, and that's when he started to pray for his people and the return of the people back to Babylon. So if if they were there 70 years and he was 20 years old, 18 or 20, you add that up, he would have to have been at least 88 or 90. Yes, yeah. And so <clears throat> that was an arduous journey back to Jerusalem. So he probably, you know, they didn't have, you know, electric vehicles back there. They didn't have cars and things. They traveled by foot and horseback and wagon. And so that was a pretty long way back, pretty enduring for a 90-something-half-year-old man to take. So he, he didn't go back with them, and we know that he was there that night when Babylon fell because he read the handwriting on the wall. Yes, yes. And he said, there's an old man that was in the, your father's administration, Daniel. If you could find Daniel. So Daniel was there, and Daniel was here doing But not to belabor the point, <clears throat> And Haggai says, in the second year of Darius, king of Persia, on the first day of the sixth month, which would have been by August of 520 B.C., the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet of of Jerubbabel, the son of Shetel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say, the time has not come that the Lord's house or his temple should be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet said, Is it time for you yourselves to live in your expensive panel houses? The King James reads seal houses, in other words, in your luxurious houses. Just like the people nowadays, you could see some of the homes and the places they live in, but most of the houses of God is desolate and in ruins and the preachers are begging for money or whatever. Well, the false prophets and things. I don't think God's people beg for money. Uh, They ask the people to do what they should do, but they have faith and they rely upon God. But all of that is a mixture of what's going on now. But he says, is it time for you yourselves to live in your expensive panel houses while this house of the Lord lies in ruins. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways and thoughtfully reflect on your conduct. You have planted much, but you harvest little. You eat, 
but you do not have enough. You drink, but you do not have enough to be intoxicated. You you clothe yourself, but no one is warm enough. He who earns wages earns them just to put them in, in a bag with holes in it because God has withheld his blessings. A lot of times us in the church wonder why we're not prospering or getting ahead or, or, or feel contentment or satisfaction in life. And that's because you're not living the right way. God's holding back his blessings from you. You remember I said you have to have Manasseh. You have to go through the trial and tribulation before God makes it fruitful and for things to happen for you. So you're living in a hope, a false hope, because if you start doing right, God wants to bless you in this life. As the prosperity preacher's preaching, he wants to give you a blessing in this life. He wants you to have, to be able to glorify him, to give to others. But God's not, don't reward his children for living wickedly. So that's the reason our health is in decline. That's the reason our finances and different things are certain ways. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways and thoughtfully reflect on your conduct. Go up to the hill country, bring lumber, and rebuild my house that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. It, that is, accepting it is done for my glory. You look for much, but it comes to little. And even when you bring that home, I blow it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house which lies in ruins while each of you run to your own house to eagerly enjoy barbecuing picnic on the tailgating and gambling and all of these other things. You have money to spend on all that stuff, but you're not putting anything in God's house. When it comes to collection time, you give him the little bit, but you spend the folding money and the checks and the credit cards and things. Those tickets to college games run a hundred and some dollars. Now I know it was a hundred and some dollars at LSU when I was in the world, you know, working that, the place I used to work at, and they would have company things, and we would go to the games, and it was a hundred some dollars then. Mm. So it's you know, take your children or whatever, just four or five hundred dollars just for the tickets with one or two children. Yes. That's how much you spend. And just think, these stadiums holding ninety to a hundred thousand people now. The football games, my son, daughters used to have season tickets to see the Saints and the Pelican or whatever. Those things are astronomically high. Those season tickets, he asked me one time that I want to go to the Carolina Panthers game and the Saints game. Cam Newton was playing. I said, no, I don't want to go. I feel it's a waste of money. I see the game better from home. You know, the stadiums are so large and dealing with so many people, you have to walk so far, you know. It's so much, but anyhow, that's kind of getting off on a rabbit trail, but they spend so much. They talk about inflation and b- the price of gas and everything. That's where your money is going. He says you have pocket holes, look like it's holes in your pocket because they don't think of anything about buying $100. It don't take much shrimp or fish or seafood to end up $100, $200 or something like that and ribeyes or barbecuing this and all those expensive things. Those that are on entitlement programs, they're getting the pandemic, food stamps, and all of this or whatever. But so much is being spent, but so little emphasis is put on God.
the things of God. He says, therefore, because of you, that is your sin and your disobedience, the heavens withhold the dew and the earth withholds its produce. I call for a drought on the land in the hill country, on the grain and on the new wine and on the oil. So this is why God is punishing the people because of their ways, of their complacency in working on his house. They had been all there all the time directed by another king who gave them the resources. He wasn't for money. He was a type of Christ. And that's what Christ had died for us, had freed us and redeemed us. He had redeemed us and he start he shows us about the people who we elect, about the preachers and, and about the churches or whatever, but we're not doing anything. We're just waiting for somebody else to do something. What are you doing for God? What purposes this week have you glorified God in? What work have you put your hands to to serve God this week? As I told you, some didn't return. It was some 60 million Jewish people in Babylon about this time when Cyrus came to power. When he took over Babylon. Out of maybe that 60 million 30,000 return. Israel had, Israel and Nehemiah has a chronology of the names of those who return. He has the genealogy of those, each name. God knows what you're doing. But Cyrus decreed, listen what Cyrus decreed. When he said, whosoever, listen that. That's what Christ says, whosoever. He says, Ezra 1 and 4, he says, Whosoever remained in any place where he sojourned, in other words, whoever stayed in Babylon, wherever you stay at, let the men of his place help him with silver and with gold and with goods and with beasts beside the free will offering for the house that of God in Jerusalem. Okay, if you're not going back, send you some money. Put some money into it. Give them money to go back and build. A lot of people love to send their money. You remember I told you earlier, I'm too busy working to go to church. I'm too busy working. And they send tithes and they send offerings to the church like God needs their money. Let me give God money. You know, a lot of people give their children money or whatever. Money can't buy love. Money is not always the answer. And you'll see in the end in Revelation later on where people will be throwing their money in silver away because... That's what they labored for. That was all their gods, the, the gods that they served. And they could be throwing it away because they could see that's, that's not a resolve. It's like Peter told Simon, you and your money go perish. You're trying to buy this and it's too late to buy it. These people, a lot of people will contribute to programs, but their heart has to be, it has to be a changed heart. So only 30,000 went back to Bill. And with this decree, I'll get to it in my third point, that God provided a covering for them. If Cyrus made that proclamation, I can be assured that he, ought, he ruled the entire providence all the way till Jerusalem where he was sending the people back to. A lot of people try to take it away from Cyrus. But a lot of the religious people and the secular people say, well, look, that's what Cyrus did with all of the people or whatever. 
They try to explain away the divine providence of God choosing this man and what God had spoke some almost 200 years. It was about 160 years earlier through Isaiah that it would be Cyrus that issued this decree and that this was God working. And a lot of people knew God had said that uh, see it in the word of God and they try to explain a second Isaiah or they just they could keep on doing what they're doing. It's a lot of people now that in churches and everything say they believe in God, but they keep on sinning. They keep on living their lives the way they are, and there's no repentance, no turning toward God and seeking God. That's evil. Evil is a perversion of good uh, of the things God had made. It's a counterfeit, not the original. That's what sin is. Sin is a negative. It has no existence. God did not create sin. Sin happens when we transgress God's laws. Sin happens when we pervert something because everything God created in the beginning, we saw that it was good. God looked at all of he had created and said it is good. So when he says he create evil and calamity. In other words, he's sovereign over all of these things. In other words, God is control. God is in control. Nothing is out of his control, but God's providence is not in everything. And that's why I was saying his providence was guiding and leading Solomon. I mean, Cyrus, and as you was praying, you was talking about lead down the path and all that. That's why we say, Thy will be done, thy kingdom come. Lead me not into no evil. Lead us not into no evil and no temptation. Deliver us from temptation. Yes. Though he leads, those that are sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. Amen. But see, if you're not led by the Spirit of God, don't blame your actions on a sovereign God. Pharaoh's action was wickedness in everything, but that was because Pharaoh was wicked. God watched over him and knew he was going to do those things. But in God's sovereignty, God had left him to the, themselves. So people say that God made them a homosexual. Or God did this. No, God might have turned you over a reprobate mind for you to do those things that are not convenient. But that's the thing that you love. You love darkness rather than light. Well, I stopped doing this. I stopped gambling. I stopped chasing women. I stopped doing this when God stopped me. But he gave me the money. I, he must I don't mind me doing it. He gave me the money. No, he didn't. He gave you the money to do right. That's where your choices come in. You can choose life or you can choose death. Amen. We're making wrong choices. Yes. We're making choices against God's will, against his way. So when we do something negative, we're counterfeiting what God had told us to do right. We're producing something for our own pleasure, our own consumption. We accident to consume it upon our own lust. Uh, the second point, a covering. I tell you, I'll talk about that, that protection when God sent them because along the way then it would be robbers along the pathway, people laying aside, just like nowadays, people... You get money or doing something, people will carjack you, come along and take it. But God, Cyrus, when he made this proclamation, no doubt sent people to help them get back to where he sent them. 
God always watches over his people and watches over our paths in life. Mm. We have to come to faith and belief in that. Now, the intensity of the belief in that varies with faith, but men of faith also acts within God's providential will. In other words, remember they lowered Paul down the basket outside the wall and he escaped? Mm-hmm. It says if you can deliver yourself. I told a lady the other day, I went to this long-term care place to pick up some paperwork, to deliver some paperwork and pick up some other paperwork. And it smelled strong pine saw in there. And I said, is that pine saw y'all use? She says, yes. I said, well, you know, it's a recall on that pine saw. I said, it's a national recall because there's some kind of bacteria or something that got into the batch of pine saw, and pine saw is being recalled. I said, it's bad on your immune system, and if your immune system is compromised, like I have rheumatoid arthritis, so I take Humira very expensive medication for it because I have a compromised immune system. So that's, it works very hard on those people. That's why I try to keep up with my boosters and shots or whatever because those go first, people with compromised immune system and older people. But she said, well, we'll just pray in Jesus' name. Okay, that's good to have that type of faith and pray in Jesus' name. But if you know something is poison or deadly, wouldn't that say not to do it, not to tempt the Lord thy God? Yes. During this pandemic, as they warned about this COVID virus, whatever, people are still not taking that shot or whatever and say, well, if the Lord says and all these things, the biggest resistance come from a lot of religious people. But they take flu shots, they take polio shots, they take all other shots. So if you know something is dangerous and you do it, that not that tempting the Lord? Yeah. But anyhow, God sends a covering for his people. You remember he was about to send them through the wilderness and he was talking about to Moses to lead them to the promised land. Moses said, I won't go unless your presence goes with me that it goes with us. We need to be in his presence. And that's why he gives us the Holy Spirit. It says God's anointed. Cyrus was God's anointed. That means he was authorized by God and God's providence was with him. When we anointed, he said, I'll send you another comforter. Well, the Holy Spirit is that comforter. He said, he'll be within you. He'll lead you and guide you into all truth. That's what the comforter, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He's our comforter. That anointing rests upon us. Listen at what Moses said and what God said to him in the wilderness when he was getting ready to head for the promise. Now in Exodus 23rd chapter 20 through the 24th verse says, See, I'm sending an angel before you to lead you safely to the land I have prepared for you. Reverence him and obey all his instructions. This was the messenger of the covenant. This was Christ. This angel was Christ. And that's why we say Cyrus was a type of Christ. That's why I tell you that the Holy Spirit is God's, it's God also. There's three persons in the Godhead. 
Notice how it talks of the spirit as a him. It says reverence him and obey him. God tells us not to reverence anybody but him. When Jesus Christ as a man, he wouldn't let him do that. He says, see that you do it now. In other words, he says reverence God. But he did receive this reverence from Thomas when he came back because the anointing that made him that when he came back, he said he accepted that Thomas says, my Lord and Savior. Yes. This was the resurrected Jesus Christ. But anyhow, it says reverence him and obey his instruction. That's why I say we have to obey the word of God. Do not rebel against him. For he will not pardon your transgressions. He is my representative. He bears my name. But if you are careful to obey him, following all my instructions, then I will be an enemy to your enemy. For my angels shall go before you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, and Jebusites to live there. And I will destroy those people before you. God clears the path. And that's what he told Cyrus. That he was going to clear the path. He was going to dry up the rivers. And that wasn't going to be anybody to hinder the things that he did. Cyrus was a very successful king. He was a deliverer of God's people. And that's why I was telling you he was a type of Christ. It's to divine providence. It wasn't a battle against Cyrus. He entered in. God was at work. They conquered Babylon, and he calls us out of Babylon. Jesus Christ, that type of Cyrus, that who Cyrus was a type of, he came and freed us. He redeemed us from sin. Amen. So we have the power to overcome the enemy. It's Christ in us. It's the Holy Spirit that leads and guides us into all truths, and the truth shall set you free. Amen. It'll make you free. Yes. Nehemiah was guarded by an army as he traveled. When he went back, you remember he was the cupbearer to the king, and they told him the, the deteriorated condition Jerusalem was in, and that the gates, the walls was down, and that it was desolate and in ruins, and how the people were taking advantage of one another. It's the same as we have it now. The leaders and our spiritual leaders have taken advantage and oppressing the people, and the church is not being built up. It says nearby 2.9, Then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letter. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. Just maybe as Cyrus did, he sent protection and an army to protect Nehemiah and the people that were going back to do this work on building the walls. Are we raising the walls of the church? God has protection around us. Read Ezra and Nehemiah how they built, but they had to watch themselves because the enemy kept coming in to hinder their work in God. The same now. They go, hinder our work in God. But do we have that inward circumcision that's going to keep us pressing on? Like I think Cyrus had, had was God's anointed. So inwardly, I think he was just like God's chosen people. He had chose Cyrus in the same way. The 13 years earlier, Ezra refused to ask for an escort, choosing rather to place his faith in God. Remember I told you, some servants of God 
works with different levels of faith that God has causing them to work in because everyone and everything in the Old Testament is the example unto us. So some occasion, the government of law protects us. Sometimes we may not have to ask for this government of the law to protect us. But there's no harm in these things. Listen in Ezra 8 and 22. He says, For I was ashamed to require the king a band of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy in the way going along the path. Because we had spoken unto the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon them for good that seek him. But his power and his wrath is against all them that forsake him. So we fasted and besought our God for this, and he was entreated of us. As I was saying about the young lady with the pine saw or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, if I had pine saw, I do use pine saw, but I didn't have any that, you know, that I would have bought during this time of this. You know, I use Lysol, but Lysol is different from pine saw. Yes. I use Mr. Clean. It's different from pine saw. But if she wanted to walk in faith and says she'll pray unto the Lord about it and use it, there's no, nothing wrong with that. That's what I'm saying with Ezra and Nehemiah. It's no difference in the faith. In other words, Nehemiah, asked, uh, Nehemiah had armed gods and soldiers and an army protecting him, whereas Ezra would say he would be ashamed to ask this because he had just told him about God protecting him and doing all this, so he was walking by faith in this. You understand how faith and how belief in God works. Yes. By examining these texts, it can be seen that both attitudes can be defended as being faithful. It can also be seen that while Ezra and Nehemiah both had different opinions about whether or not to accept military protection, both Ezra and Nehemiah fully understand that their protection came from the hand of God, not from the hand of the king. That Cyrus did this, but it was from the hand of God. It was God's providence working through Cyrus. Cyrus was a different type king than Nebuchadnezzar, but God did call Nebuchadnezzar his servant, and he worked through Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar wrote the fourth chapter of Daniel, whereas we don't have scripture where Cyrus wrote in his scriptures, so of course he could have believed in many of different gods or whatever, but this was God's anointed. He didn't call ne- uh, Nebuchadnezzar his anointed, though. Mm. And the anointed is a type of Christ. Yeah. Mm. But in a way, Nebuchadnezzar was a type of Jesus Christ, the king of kings. Nebuchadnezzar was a king of kings. My third point, <clears throat> confirming his word. Confirming his word. God's going to confirm his word. Ezra 1, 11, 1 through 11. During the first year of the reign of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled Jeremiah's prophecy by giving King Cyrus the desire to send this proclamation throughout his empire. He also put it into the permanent records of the realm. So we can go back, I told you, and read this in secular history, what Nehemiah, I mean, what Cyrus did in the Cyrus Cylinder. They can't deny the Cyrus Cylinder. They can't deny these things. They have it in history. Archaeology, they dug it up, and here it is here. Cyrus existed, and this is what he did. We see where this was to fulfill Jeremiah's uh, Jeremiah's prophecy about going back to Beah. 
He says, Cyrus, king of Persia, hereby announces that Jehovah, the God of heaven, who gave me my vast empire, he acknowledged that it was God who gave him that empire, has now given me the responsibility of building him a temple in Jerusalem in the land of Judah. All Jews throughout the kingdom may now return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple of Jehovah, who is the God of Israel and of Jerusalem, and may his blessings rest upon you. So Jesus Christ had opened up the door so whosoever will. But it's a lot, don't do. So it's available, but you make that choice whether you do it or not. Those Jews who do not go should contribute toward the expenses of those who do. Also supply them with clothing, transportation, and supplies for the journey and free will offerings. Then God gave a great desire to the leaders of the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. To, so he stirred up the hearts of the people that did return. These were the anointed people that he stirred up to return. But notice that God always calls a great number. There'd be many called, but a few chosen. So a lot of them that went back, they end up maybe stumbling. Some of them stumble that went back. A remnant out of a remnant. <coughs> and they, I told you it had a list of the stuff Cyrus had donated and given to them. It is his word that shall not pass away. Jeremiah 1.12 says, Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well. For I'm actively watching over my word to fulfill it. God watches over his word to perform it. It reads in the King James, it says, Then the Lord said unto me, Thou hast well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform it. God's making sure his word is fulfilled. And we, I have a whole thing on God fulfilling his word that I'll teach during Bible study at another time. Isaiah 55, 10 through 11. About how he says, For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven returneth not hither, but water the earth and making it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper into the thing whereof I sent it to. So God confirms his word. Those out there that's listening through sermon audio or some other method, I'll just speak these few. It's, this is just a small amount of ones you can look up. 1 Kings 2.27, 1 Chronicles 22, 7-13, 2 Chronicles 36-21, Romans 2.27, Galatians 6 and 2. Colossians one twenty five, James two and eight, Revelation seventeen and seventeen. So I want to conclude here. And I want y'all to understand here. Remember in the book of Jeremiah where he said chapter thirty four through thirty six that he was gonna make a new covenant with the people. That he was gonna write their his laws upon their heart. He was writing his laws upon their heart. It was the inward circumcision. Paul speaks of that inward circumcision in the book of Romans, the second chapter, the 26th through the 29th verse we're looking here because the entitlement was, was Cyrus a spiritual Jew? 
Cyrus was a spiritual Jew. And that's what we are spiritually God's people. The Old Testament has Israel as a type. It has Israel as God's chosen people, right? But the church is the Israel of God. It doesn't replace Israel, but it was mirroring. That's what the church, all the time the Gentiles would form the church. Old Testament Cyrus, a Gentile, a pagan king. So listen at this closely because it's not baptism, for we know the thief on the cross was saying, says, this day you shall be with me in paradise. We know Abraham and those that had faith. We know Enoch walked with God. So it's faith, a belief in God. The circumcision without hands. And let's see what Cyrus fit in here because remember I told you he was a merciful king and God says those that show mercy the merciful he was a humanitarian He was he, uh, so it says circumcision the sign of the covenant of Abraham is indeed of value if you practice the law that is if you practice the law but if you habitually break the law your circumcision has become uncircumcision It is meaningless in the sight of God. He says God's people had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Those that are circumcised, if you're doing wrong, if you say you're God's people and you have a physical outdoor, you're sitting in the church or whatever, but you're not obeying the rules of God. You're not obeying or walking in Jesus Christ. You hadn't been born again and repenting from your sins and turning. It means nothing. It's meaningless to God. So if the uncircumcised, which it was talking about the Gentiles, by faith, that's, that's the key thing. It says, so if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded by God as circumcision? Won't it? Yes, it will. Because that's by faith. That's why he told Israel, Jesus says, I have not seen so great a faith in all of Israel. This woman that was healed that had the issue for 30 days said her faith had made her whole. See, Noah was saved by the grace of God. It's grace through faith. So, then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the spirit of the law will judge you who even though you have written in a code, you have the written code and circumcision, you break the law, the uncircumcised man will judge you just as Cyrus judged the people, was ruled over the people and delivered and redeemed the people. For he is not a real Jew who is only one outwardly, nor is true circumcision something external and physical, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. It's the inward circumcision. And true circumcision is circumcision of the heart, a new heart, a heart that's toward God, a heart that God gives you to keep his law, to walk in his way. By the Spirit, not by fulfillment of the letter of the law, his praise is not from men, but from God. It says, as our type of Jesus Christ, as our type of Jesus, Cyrus, Isaiah 44, 27 through 8 says, that saith to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up the rivers. That saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd to perform all my pleasure. 
even saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. Jesus Christ did that, and he said, Go into the world making disciples. So we're doing, those that have been circumcised in the heart, that have been received every spirit, they're doing the work. They're types of, they're little Christ, they're being made in his image, in his likeness. God's spirit is working in them to perfect them. It's a divine miracle. Come out of Babylon. It's a divine way that God calls us out of the world. He calls us out of Babylon, and it's by his spirit that we develop. We're becoming the spiritual children of God, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. God is our Father, and we cry unto him. Thank you for delivering us. But it's through the works and seeking of God that we grow in this. This faith could grow from where Nehemiah was that received the armed escort to the faith that Ezra was and say he speak the word of God and you go around not worrying about man doing you anything. You don't fear anything. You see, you could, your faith can escalate. Ever increasing faith. That's what it is. You have seed, faith as a seed of mustard seed, but then that faith can grow to where you start speaking to the mountains and say, mountain, be thy move. You accomplish these things. You grow in the Lord. You're being spiritually filled. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, Lord,